Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cabot Cove Gazette, the world's best murder she wrote podcast. I am your co-host, TJ West. I'm Bridget Keys. And we are talking this week about the season finale of season three, Murder, She Spoke. So, Bridget, since I did the honors last time, it is now your turn to give us a summary of what I view to be a rather lackluster episode altogether. Ugh. Okay, listen, I will. First, I want to say one thing. Um, Often, when you introduce the episode, you say J.B. Fletcher's favorite podcast and ours, too. And I say world's best. So that was interesting. And then number two, I just want to quickly talk about the episode title before we move on, because some of y'all are on social media using murder, comma, she, blank, and you're putting in verbs that don't make sense. And it really upsets me. Now, this episode is called Murder, She Spoke, because it's about Jessica recording an audiobook, and that makes sense. Right. I mean, the one meme that I will allow is the Mordor she wrote, where it's about Lord of the Rings. Like, that's, that's fine, because they've just replaced murder with a different noun. Right. But sometimes people are like, murder, she, like, murder, she bicycled or something. It's like, you can't bicycle murder. How do you bicycle right. murder? That doesn't grammatically make sense. Anyway. As I said, someone's, someone's being an awful big stickler for prose stylings this time around. I just feel like you guys didn't learn how to diagram sentences in junior high, and maybe you wow, should. Wow, look at look at Miss uh, <laughs> Ivy League over here. You know that doesn't sound very workmanlike to me. That sounds very, dare I say it, overwrought. Oh, you're going to call back to last week, huh? I am going to call back. You called my prose overwrought, which is both true, but also you're wounded. Uh, wounded, yes, yes. <laughs> I know you're wounded by that. It's not anything I haven't told you before. True. And I've told you that your writing is cutesy and trite. So it's you have a best friend who edits your writing just for that reason. That's true. You need an editor to make your writing less cutesy. But anyway, shut your mouth. Anyway, so Jessica is recording an audiobook. Now, what I think is interesting to teach is that um, it's it's being recorded onto cassette Mm -hmm. tape for the blind. And I was like, why are we doing this just for the blind, like, why are we not just acknowledging that in 20 years, that's pretty much how anyone's going to do any reading? Right. It's, it is an interesting conceit. Yes, you have to be unable to read the page, and therefore you get an audiobook. I mean, it does speak to a very different level of, like, assumed literacy than what we live with now. Uh-huh. Also, like, can't they just print our books in Braille? That's also a question I had, but... <laughs> I would assume it would take less time to read in Braille than it would be to listen to an entire novel. I know. But, you know, we should actually talk about this with the rise of the Sony Walkman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is something really fun about the idea that she's recording all these cassettes and, like, people are just about to get the technology where they can walk around with personal cassette players and headphones. That's true. But they're not blind, so they won't get to listen. Technological historicism in Murder, she wrote. That's a good essay. Another Actually, essay. that's a good essay. That's the new card. Because there's all the VCRs the and surveillance cameras. Uh-huh. Okay, anyway. You know, I, you know, I got to do it. You know, I got to say it, though. I, I think what we should have done all along has been writing these titles down so we could do something with them. Right. Well, we have to rely on our fans for that. Okay, you guys, the- if you guys are listening, can you please jot down what we've said and like post it on our social media so we remember and don't have to go re-listen to all the episodes to collect these essay titles? Yeah, it's enough to for us to have to record it. Like we, you guys need to pitch in and help us out. Maybe they should write the essays. We no, have an essay contest. We have given yeah, we you have... guys the themes. Now go write the essays. Well, that's actually not a bad idea. But anyway, that's actually a really great idea. So listen, we are four minutes into this podcast episode. I still haven't told them what the <laughs> summary is. <laughs> okay, so Jessica's recording this audiobook. 
and uh, somebody's recording a country song in the next studio. That night, the lights in the studio go out. When the lights come up, a guy who's dressed like Miami Vice, who runs the studio, is found stabbed to death. And we have to figure out who did it in the dark. Now, that's a really fun conceit. It's true. There are, I mean, I, I will say that this isn't my favorite episode, but there are things I like about it. Um, starting with Patrick Wayne, who plays the sort of network, the executive you were just talking about who gets stabbed to death. Miami Vice. Yes. And I just, of course, I call him that in my notes because he's wearing like a white linen suit. He is, yes. But I'm sure you know this already, Bridget, but you know who his father is, right? Bruce Wayne, Batman? No, even better. John Wayne, iconic Western actor. Let's go home, Debbie. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to regret doing that because that movie is so gross. But I will say that when I was young and first watched McClintock, which is a film with um, Maureen O'Hara, John Wayne, and Patrick Wayne, I had such a crush did you? On Patrick Wayne, because he is extremely attractive. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's attractive in this? I do, actually. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I would hit that. <laughs> but I mean, that says, I, that's not saying a lot. I say that about a lot of You're people, but... pretty indiscriminate. I am indiscriminate. You're pretty indiscriminate. Mm. I'm going to let that one pass. I'm not going to return the barb this time, because we have an episode to discuss. But... Oh, no. Are you saying that I'm indiscriminate? No comment. Okay, I'm very discriminate, but I will say that I tell him I'm in love with everybody. Like, just this morning, I was telling him how I was in love with my spinning instructor, so. Yeah, and it's a constant barrage, and I've completely lost track and interest in (laughs) these paramours, so. It just, they're not actually paramours, it just means, like, this is an interesting person I admire. You're the most Pisces Leo I've ever met, so. (laughs) And I say that as a Pisces, the most Pisces Pisces to have ever Pisces, but anyway. So anyway, since the lights were out, obviously it seems like the person who could have committed the murder was the only person who's able to walk around in the dark without having trouble, which is the blind guy who hired Jessica to do this audiobook series, right? He's running, he's renting out the studio to do this mystery book series for the blind. Mm -hmm. Um, And he lost his sight in a car accident caused by Miami Vice. So it seems really logical, right? Mm -hmm. Lights go out, he kills him. Because he can fumble around in the dark and find him. And it's it's retribution for losing his sight. Right. But he, he's not it. Yeah, because it's so simple that of course he did not do it. Of course he didn't do it. And he's actually um, very sympathetic. Jessica ends up staying at his house when she has to cancel her flight because of this murder. And she really likes him and his wife. And um, there's actually like a cute scene where they're jogging together. Mm-hmm. Um. So then we have to turn to, like, well, who else could have done it? And we have, like, this plot line where the country singer in the next studio has found out that his forthcoming album has already been pirated. Um, So there's some intrigue with that. It could be him. His niece is really fussy and seems angry about everything. Could have been her. There's a whole little bit about nail polish on the carpet floor of the office. So it could have been any of the women with nail polish, which includes the guy's wife, who he's clearly only married for her money and she's not really broken up about his death. Um, So we have a whole host of like possible suspects here. We do. And I feel like at this point, I have to say that this episode has Charlie Daniels in it. Like, I feel like that's the sort of, if I remember one thing about this episode is that Charlie Dan, the Charlie Daniels is in an episode of Murder. I don't know who Charlie Daniels is. How do you not know who Charlie Daniels is? The singer? Devil went down to Georgia? Is he the guy who plays Stoney Carmichael? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
That's like a famous singer? Yes! Wow. Oh my god, I cannot believe you did not know that. No, I didn't know it, and clearly I didn't look it up because I was being lazy today. Um, Devil Went Down to Georgia, I know that song. <laughs> well, that's who sings it, is Charlie Daniels, who is in this episode of Murder, She Wrote. Very famous country singer. I what I I I was a little bit perplexed by him because he like he's obviously a country singer but then he's like he has like the telltale beard of a country singer like that registers to me as a country singer but then he's wearing this like goofy sweater it looks like a christmas sweater cuz it's red and has reindeer on it but then it says colorado and I was just very confused Well I think this is one of those moments when your city upbringing is really showing Oh is it Yeah I mean what so if you were to describe your paradigmatic country singer what would they be wearing camo what jeans what name me one country singer that western shirt i don't know tj i don't know what country singers wear i just didn't expect him to wear reindeer sweaters he's kind of like a grandpa figure so i think that that makes sense i mean that's kind of like charlie daniels's shtick like oh, okay. he's, a, he's a very sort of like borders on bluegrass sometimes kind of country singer yeah. So I've just, I was like, I have, I don't, I'm not as, I'm not enormously conversant in country music, but it's interesting that you would say camo. I just, you know, cause they like drive trucks and okay. live in Maybe we should just, rural places. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know what to, this coming from the woman who's like, I, I'm sort of country. There were cows where I grew up. I'm like, you're not really country. And now I see this is exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> I was now. I don't think I was ever trying to like actually claim country. I don't know. You were quite insistent upon it. But anyway, back to the episode. Yeah, back to the episode. I just think it's really funny that Charlie Daniels is just hanging around on Murder She Wrote. Like that just strikes me as something that's very funny. Are you sure it's him? Yes, dear. I just looked it up. It's such a weird. I think the reason that I feel like it's weird is because like. It's just such a weird mishmash of like um, 80s iconography and archetypes because we have like the studio producer who ultimately is our murderer. Um, he's like flirting with this woman who has like this massively teased hair. Oh my God, that hair. Like that. Yeah, that she's was like very like if you told someone to like picture the late 80s, like you they would picture her. That would put Peg Bundy to shame of married with children. And then we have like like the conservative, nice, you know, whatever, 80s embodied by like Jessica and the wife of the blind guy. You know, there's sort of like stayed mm. linen outfits, you know, and subdued makeup. And then we have like the um, the widow. She's in this like amazing outfit when Jessica confronts her. She's in like this black crepe de chine dress with these beautiful jewels and bracelet and she just looks amazing, but it's like it's very like um uh-huh. like dynasty eighties or something, you know? What a fascinating decade. And then we have like the country guy in the reindeer sweater. Yeah. Like I said, it's that's part of the reason I find it just hilarious that Charlie Daniels of all people isn't more sure just because he feels so out of place. Like it's just kinda like what is he doing in this particular episode? Like I mean, because he's famous by this point. Like it's not as if he isn't already a recognized commodity. Mm, I'm just sort of like, mm-hmm. what exactly are we going for here with having this country western star in Murder, She Wrote? <laughs> he needed a SAG card. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> um, the sodas in the vending machine in this episode 
cost 55 cents. Do you remember when sodas cost that much? I do, in fact, remember when it was 50 cents to get a sodas. I remember it was 50 cents and it was just two quarters. It was amazing. Yep. Man. Well, we were 80s kids and a lot has changed in the last 40 years. Also, I, I know I'm I'm gonna harp on like props and set for a second, but like at one point Jessica goes into the producer's office and she sits down and she's looking through the appointment book. Mm-hmm. And um the the week that she looks at is in early October. Like that it's open to that week. So we're supposed to believe that this episode is taking place in early October, which I think is a really bizarre choice for an episode they knew was the end of the season and would likely air in April. Yeah, that is a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know why would they did that that was weird but um i guess we should probably talk about the actual solution to the murder because it's it's pretty bizarre in terms of murder she wrote solutions isn't it it is so it turns out that a motorcycle helmet is the the yes. key prop here speaking of props yeah that has an infrared camera on the inside yes but i'm not given explanation as to why an ex- a record producer has an infrared camera on the inside of his motorcycle helmet or so he can drive his motorcycle at night i guess but motorcycles usually have headlights like people and you don't usually have the visor down if you're riding it at night and you want to wear a helmet which you should um you just put the visor up yeah i was like i don't know of any motorcyclist who's ever used an infrared camera (laughs) (laughs) no it doesn't make any sense but the idea was that he had this infrared camera so he could see in the dark which is how he was able to stab the guy and drop the knife and um, move around, you know, and set up. Ultimately, he was trying to set up the blind guy for it. Right. I mean, going even going so far as to abscond with a knife from a barbecue that was held at the blind guy's at their house. house. Yeah, I didn't mention that, which is really a terrible detail. Like he's been thinking about this murder for months, then right weeks at least. Because he took a knife from their house to use as the murder weapon, and this poor woman, when she figures. When, when the police, like, present them with the, the, the knife, and they're like, this is the murder weapon, she recognizes it as one of her set. And so mm. she tries to hide all the knives in her house. In the washing machine. Or in, in the, the washing Yeah, in the dryer. And Jessica's like, you're so stupid. Like, the cops are going <laughs> to look in here. But, like, that's terrifying. Like, can you imagine if it was, a like, some piece of property from your house was used as a murder weapon? Like, how on earth are you going to explain that to the police? Yeah, it plays right into my terror of accidentally being sent to prison for whatever reason even though i've done nothing that fear is that a real terror of yours sometimes yeah mine my fear is specific to texas like i'm just always convinced that if i if i set foot in the state line of texas i might accidentally be arrested for murder and sent to prison maybe accidentally commit a murder it's very unclear terror um and then i'll be you know i'll be sent to prison and you'll need a jb to helicopter in and save you (laughs) And by that, I mean me, obviously. <laughs> It'll be you, yeah. You have done enough research now about how to solve murders. You've We're on, like, episode 60 of this podcast, so I, I would trust you to be able to do it. I've had enough Poirot and more Smartpole to know my way around. Yeah. To be fu- to be fussy and be, like, you know, queer while I'm serving or selling a mystery. It seems like that's all you really need to figure out a murder is just to be, like, fussy and queer or fussy and old. Yes. And if you're fussy, <laughs> old, and queer, it's, it's you know, you can't fail. <laughs> But anyway, what I liked about this teach was that um, I really liked the aha moment when Mm. Jessica figures it out, because it seems like the guy who did it, the producer, couldn't have been the murderer because he was talking to people from the recording booth 
while the lights were out, like telling him, stay put and blah, blah, blah. And it's when um, Jessica's in with her hosts and they're playing her cassette tape of her book that she's like, a tape, you know, aha, this guy could have recorded himself and played it while he's running around the building. But I just thought the scene where they played her book for her was so cute. Mm -hmm. Like she's, um, they put it in and Lansbury is like, in doing this like embarrassed and cute thing of like, my oh my voice? God, that's my voice. It's so, ah, you know, the way that we all get awkward when we hear our voices. I just thought it was so cute. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a, it's a sentiment with which I can definitely identify since, you know, I spend every week editing my, uh, my other podcast with my voice. It's very alienating sometimes, yeah. especially given how, you know, nasally and annoying my voice can be sometimes. But I anyway. I feel the same when I edit this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your voice is annoying, but that's not <laughs> You're such a jerk. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's also the moment that the the police call and she's talking to them. And um, yep. that's she has her aha moment. And at that moment, the woman actually turns a light on behind her. It's like, you guys aren't subtle at all. And then she tells the cop, I love this. I, these are my favorite murder she wrote. I know who did it. I know how they did it. I don't know how I can prove it. I mean, but I'm glad you brought up the cop because he is arguably one of my least favorite police officers. Yeah. And it's... We got to talk about this. Oh, my God. It's awful. Like, he is so patronizing. It's not just that he's hostile to Jessica as a, you know, an interloper. He's sneeringly, like, misogynist. Like, yes. And insults her gender multiple times. Yep. It's almost too much. Like, it's almost... He's almost a caricature. He's a caricature. Mm-hmm. And I... I Found him, but but for that reason, I both failed to take him seriously and also found him very irritating. And well, and the big like you know our happy-go-lucky concluding scene is him kind of reforming. Like he's like, oh, I, you know, he finally acknowledges that she did actually help solve the mystery, and then he's like, you know, in the future, I guess I won't underestimate women's intuition. Intuition. And uh. she makes she makes a face <laughs> like you're making right now. That's like that wasn't totally the lesson here but okay well then that's not even the worst part arguably because then he's like i'll get a confession out of him one way or another and it's like uh it's like because the, the guy's right hmm. <laughs> it's like it's just like oh that's a bit cr i mean from 2023 point of view it's like oh so basically you're talking about like beating you know him. beating him to half to death so he'll yeah. confess yeah so i mean it's one of the less con like convincing and sort of closure providing finales just because he doesn't confess like he's kind of belligerent and he's like you can't prove anything yeah. which is true as far as it goes but there's no there's not even a confession like it's just kind of left to our imagination exactly what's going to happen to get him to admit the truth of what's going on well let's talk about how they catch him because um jessica doesn't know how she can prove it so they have to like set a trap classic murder she wrote love it and they do it by having the lights get killed at the studio once again. And then like they use a recorded voice and he's like, Hey, what is happening? That's, uh, you know, and the lights come back on and they're all standing in the room with him. And they're like, haha, I thought we were far away. It was recording. Um, I just, I think it's cute. I love that. I love when they do shticks like that, but I guess I am just thinking back to murder in a minor key and some of our other more elaborate recreations. And I don't understand why it would have annoyed me but it would have been true to murder she wrote 
I don't understand why we didn't have a moment where everyone is brought back to the recording studio to recreate the night the lights went out. Yeah. That seems like such a thing they would have done, right? Right. And it's also like, isn't most of the reenactment done through like point of view shots? So it's like we're in the helmet as we're walking around the studio. Yeah. Which is, I mean, an interesting choice to make. And I, that part, I think, worked relatively well. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, I was just kind of like, not really sure what we're supposed to make of this. Like, because he does. Well, we don't really even know much about him. So it's kind of like, and we don't know much about the victim either. So it's like, okay, two people we don't really care about killed, you know, one killed the other. Okay. <laughs> well, that's pretty much how I felt. Because like, you know, much as I like Patrick Wayne, he was just such a walk on role. Yes. Like he's dead within the first like 10 minutes and so i'm just like okay i don't have enough time to really a get to know this character or b be invested enough in his death to be like oh that's awful yeah exactly i mean obviously murder is always awful that's this you know we you guys you know that we feel that way we're just saying like narratively within the context of a series that's always about murder right it's not comparatively a very gripping murder yeah, it's not like it doesn't really wow us with. It's not like you know the last episode with I, uh, a murder that hard disagree. This one is so much more interesting. Oh, this hard disagree. I <laughs> not even this twenty minute conversation has convinced me that I was not wrong. <laughs> oh, really? Because usually I'm so good at doing that. Like by the end, not you're like, time. oh, I like it now. No, the fact that you didn't know who Charles Daniels was just put us off on the wrong foot. Like, I mean, it probably turned off a lot of listeners. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> There's probably like two people left listening at this point. <laughs> I don't know. Our fans are loyal. We love you, fans. Okay. One more thing we need to talk about is the book that Jessica's actually reading because it starts out very cute. It's like narrated from the point of view of like an old woman. And then later we find out that it is called Mystery of the Mutilated Minion. And there's a whole thing with a guy cross-dressing as a corpse. (laughs) And then there's like there's the description of... And then there's like a whole description of like, you know, he's had his throat <laughs> cut and like Jessica's delivering what these is lines. What is her writing, with, TJ? What the hell did she I write? Was I was like, this is not the kind of murder writer that I thought J.B. <laughs> no. Fletcher was. Like, I was like, this is, this is not murder she wrote. Like, that's for sure. <laughs> but like, I just, I, lo- like, I love that it's like a guy in a dress and like part of the reason they know there was some intrigue is because he should have been wearing makeup and he wasn't. And like, like there's some gender play happening here that I find very fascinating. Right. I'm still kind of hung up on how gruesome JB's writing is. Like, that's just not <laughs> the kind of writer that I thought JB <laughs> Fletcher was. Like, this is like true crime stuff. Like, I know. I'm very, like, con- we thought she was like Agatha Christie. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, ooh, this is much more grotesque than I thought. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, so there's an interesting, like, well, there's another essay for you. Like, <laughs> you know, it's the bifurcation of J.B. Fletcher. The bifurcation? Oh, my God. So on the one hand, you have co- the murder she- generic bifurcation in Murder, She Wrote. So on the one hand, there's J.B. Fletcher, who is part of a cozy mystery show. But J.B. Fletcher, the character, is writing brutal crime. brutal crime fiction with mutilated bodies described in extraordinary detail i mean and she's like a best-selling author too so like all of america loves her work like what does that say but i mean whatever like in cold blood was a bestseller so we like violence i guess yeah so i don't know i i'm just kind of wrapping my head around did it make you like did you fall a little bit out of love with her though no because you know what i didn't want you to write that i mean i can detach the art from the artist like (laughs) Can you? You know, I can def- I can detach. I don't think I can. I can detach JB from her extre- extensive descriptions of mutilated corpses. Like, 
Mystery of the Mutilated Minion. Like, we are so far from the corpse danced at midnight at this point. Yeah, this is this is a dark turn. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when Hollywood was making the movie of that and it was like an electric graveyard with like, <laughs> like zombies and cheerleaders and guitars and shit? And she was like, that's not my book. I feel like this one, like, that's what it is. This is like if a <laughs> Hammer movie became, like, one of the really gory Hammer movies became a novel. Like... <laughs> Like, that's what we're going to be dealing with. It's going to be made by Hammer Studios. That's the only one who could make this. Oh, I love Hammer Studios. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to close out. I would just like to ask, like, how do we feel about this as a season finale? Because, like, maybe that's part of the reason I feel it's underwhelming because it doesn't have, like, it doesn't do anything as a season finale, right? It's just another episode. Yeah. And I think actually Days Dwindle Down would have made more sense as a season mm-hmm. finale because it was doing something narratively interesting and it felt bigger. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I feel like this is an okay episode. I don't, I don't hate it, but I don't feel like uh-huh. it's one of the greats. And it's not even one that's particularly interesting. And so I think that's been the fact that it's the uh-huh. finale perhaps is what, you know, irks me a little bit. So at this point, some of our producers are working on another show. Mm. And they're getting a little distracted. And we also know we're coming back for another season. It's not a question mark. And I'm kind of wondering if there's a little phoning it in. A little bit. feels like it. Yeah, but I agree. And I think if we look back over, like, what did season three accomplish? I think you and I felt very strongly that – maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. I feel very strongly that season three got back to, like, grassroots murder she wrote in a way that some of season two drifted from. We got many more of these happy endings. um, And – very playful episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really like season three overall. Me too. I yeah. do too. But I mean, this is the thing about bread and butter broadcast primetime network television is like when you have 22 episodes, there are always be duds, right? Yeah. So overall, it was fine. Don't love it. Don't hate it. Yep. Just fine. Like death stalks the big top. Yeah. <sighs> one right. One white rose for death. I did hate that, that one. one. I still hate it. I know. But we had Night of the Headless Horseman and the Corpse Flew First Class. Like, those were great episodes. Those were great episodes, yeah. Yeah. Teach, what do you think, though? Are we going to be back for season four? You and me? Oh, my God, yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're in we're it for the long haul. Like, we have our fans. Like, we'll be here for, from now until forever, I, I dare say. Days are not dwindling down for us. That's all I'm going to say. we have uh nine more seasons to go hey as long as our fans keep tuning in we'll keep making episodes oh well don't say that they'll all tune out oh Oh, that's all it took to stop you guys well they there there are a million other podcasts they could be literally a million other podcasts they could be listening to so we do appreciate that people still tune into us it's absolutely true and we should maybe like as as this is a season wrap-up take a second to just make sure they understand that like we know there are other murder she wrote podcasts we know there are podcasts about 80s tv and just other things you could be doing with your life and so it does mean a lot to us that you all listen and um we should also we'd also like to hear more from you guys we're we see your social media posts you can also email us. Um, we would love to hear more from you. Yeah, we really would. Because we love to connect with our fans. Because we also love attention. So keep that <laughs> keep that on us as much as you can. So. We got to sign off. So uh, for the Cabot Gazette, I am TJ West. I'm Bridget Keys. And we will see you soon. 
The Cabot Cove Gazette's theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nagarada, used under Creative Commons license. You can find us on social media. We're Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs>